This paid commercial may not represent the views of Hubbard Broadcasting Incorporated or Federal News Radio. Statements and opinions of this broadcast are solely those of individual contributors or advertisers as indicated. Federal News Radio does not take responsibility for those statements or opinions and accepts no responsibility or liability for any inaccuracy errors or omissions reported during this program. Welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing. Brought to you by Government Marketing University an innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach to knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Market Chat brings you conversations between government and industry executives that aim to empower listeners with greater insights and knowledge on how to market to the government. I'm Steve Watkins, Chief Content Officer of Government Marketing University. In this episode of Market Chat, we will hear insights, tips, and advice to enhance your government marketing efforts from former senior federal executives. Our host today is Kimberly Hancher, a former federal CIO and Government Marketing University ambassador. Thank you, Steve, and welcome to Market Chat, bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing, brought to you by Government Marketing University. Today, we'll hear tips on how to strengthen government marketing efforts, how to get or not get the attention of federal IT executives, Uh, through your marketing, emails, content, social media, webinars, appointment setting, and more. The focus of our first program is marketing to senior government executives. We aim to provide insight into how executives like CIOs, CTOs, CISOs, acquisition managers, and program managers, how they use marketing material, what their likes and dislikes are, and how to tailor marketing material for their needs. One of the Ten Commandments of uh, government marketing is know thy customer. So let's get familiar with just who are these government executives. Put simply, executives are the top dogs of an agency. They are senior federal executives, often referred to as the senior executive service, SESers many of whom uh, are in charge of large organizations that are composed of mid-level managers and IT professionals. But career executives are not the only ones to pay attention to. The mid-level managers and the IT staff are often the ones that do the market research, the ones that make presentations to mid- and senior-level executives, and the ones that serve on technical evaluation panels for selection of tools and technologies. Everyone is stressed with competing priorities, the demands of the job, and are challenged with sorting through lots of information on a daily basis. And I can speak from experience in telling you that as an executive, my needs uh, were very different from when I was a journeyman IT professional. For instance, uh, as a help desk manager with the Department of Veteran Affairs, I was most interested in what kinds of uh, help desk software, for example, might be uh, available to me. What were the hardware operating system requirements, platforming, uh, training options, and, and the detailed product specifications for help desk software? As a mid-level manager uh, at the FCC, I was interested in a little bit different take on help desk software. I was interested in uh, the installation and implementation challenges, uh, the project planning, uh, work breakdown structure that might be required for integrating help desk software into my agency. Whereas as a CIO at the EEOC, I was interested in what were my peers in private sector doing and what were other agencies implementing? Was it on-premise help desk software? Was it ITIL compliant IT service management tools that reside in the cloud? And what were the uh, risks of making those kinds of choices? So the bottom line is that marketing material often needs to be adjusted or adapted depending on what the information needs are for your customer. When I became Chief Information Officer in 2008, I can tell you from my own experience that executives often have to learn on the go. 
what they often do is something that I call just-in-time training or just-in-time learning, picking knowledge forums that provide a topic, introduction, and foundational knowledge in under four hours. I specifically looked for those kinds of opportunities uh, through email marketing. I would look at my inbox. I would see an opportunity for a class that might be in the morning, 7 a.m. to 9 a.m. was a great time to offer an executive briefing because it's not during the core workday. And I would often look for things that were in my commuting area, in the Maryland, D.C., Virginia area, that I could get to easily. It allows executives uh, to quickly get in the know and just in time. So those kinds of opportunities are very attractive for executives, but they're not the only kinds of marketing that, uh, that are effective. We have an executive panel today that will tell us a little bit more about their views on what's effective marketing techniques and materials. So at this point, I'm honored to introduce my panel. We have Simone Siekman, who is the former uh, CIO at the Department of Commerce and currently the Chief Technology Officer at Attain in the Federal Services area. We have Keith Trippi, who was formerly the Executive Director for the Enterprise Systems Development Office within the Office of the CIO at Department of Homeland Security, and currently the president of Trippy Group and co-founder of a new startup called Your Move, LLC. We have Casey Coleman, former CIO at the JSA, General Services Administration, and currently Unisys Federal System Civilian Group Vice President. And John Johnson, partner at Deepwater Point and formerly the Assistant Commissioner for Integrated Technology Services at GSA. We'll be back to hear from our panel after the break. I'm Kimberly Hancher, your host with the most interesting guests, exciting ideas, and innovative ideas for marketing to government. You're listening to Market Chat on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, brought to you by Government Marketing University. Do you work in marketing, sales, or business development for a vendor serving government customers? Then you should know about Government Marketing University, a new innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and networking, all in one place to help accelerate your marketing success. Learn more at governmentmarketinguniversity.com. That's governmentmarketinguniversity.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. This is your host, Kimberly Hancher, and today we're hearing from former federal executives on bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing. The topic today is understanding what role senior federal IT acquisition executives play and how they engage the market. There are many misperceptions among vendors about how government procurement decisions are made and who makes them. In this segment, we'll examine the roles that senior federal IT executives and acquisition managers play in IT procurements and look at the ways that government executives educate themselves about what the marketplace has to offer. As a, a senior government IT or acquisition official, I'd like to ask my panelists, uh, what exactly was your role in making IT purchasing decisions and how did the marketing materials you encountered sort of influence you? Simone, would you like to start? Sure. I think, I think one thing to note is there probably isn't a single right answer that applies across the entire federal government, particularly considering the diversity of different types of agencies. Uh, prior to being the Commerce CIO, I was the CIO at NIST, and even there, the role was significantly different at a component level versus at a department headquarters level. I would say that at uh, a larger agency or a headquarters level, the CIOs tend to be less directly involved in the decision-making and more typically setting direction, setting strategy, and potentially approving decisions, but not necessarily being the ones making decisions. 
Whereas at a smaller agency, there certainly is a lot more involvement day to day in the kinds of technologies that are being acquired and what the requirements are for those technologies. So one of the things that I think is important from a marketing perspective is to to tailor your approach with some knowledge and insight into the the individual and what their role is at their organization. I think some marketing materials that are that are probably effective at one level may not be effective at another level. Mm-hmm. Very good point. And Casey, your agency, uh, GSA, when you were there as CIO, how how did you interact uh, with the marketing material that you received? Well, like Simone, I was not really ever the decision maker for a specific technology. At, at that level, it's probably not very often the appropriate choice because you're not the subject matter expert. Generally, the CIOs are going to rely on, as I did, the subject matter experts on their staff and the program managers whose responsibility it is to be familiar with the varieties of technologies and solutions available and to then make recommendations. I was also responsible for strategy, for direction setting, for prioritization. So in in broad strokes, the kinds of things we needed to be looking at, but specific selections of technologies or vendors or decisions about a procurement, I did not ever make make that detailed level of an involvement. I think that um, that's a common misperception uh, among the vendor community that CIOs and other high-level executives are the decision makers when, in fact, it's the technical evaluation panels uh, for competitive procurement and the subject matter, matter experts. John, I've got a question for you. When you were working um, with GSA mm-hmm. as a uh, assistant commissioner there. Uh, what what was uh, your sort of take on the marketing uh, activities and the f- impact on policy? Well, I think the, the important thing is the relevance of the information, whether or not it's geared towards helping you solve the problem that you're trying to solve, as opposed to just uh, information for information's sake. So I think that uh, I, I found a lot of value in information that would uh, address some of the problems I had uh, in terms of the services I was trying to put in place for the federal agencies. Unlike some other agencies, GSA is a, a serving agency in that it serves the federal government. So it serves other federal agencies. So my clients were actually federal agencies. So I put together very, very large procurements uh, in place to satisfy their needs, and we took in a lot of information from all uh, all types of uh, companies. But it was somewhat of a waste of time if it wasn't on target in terms of understanding what we're trying to accomplish. And so that's what I think is really key here is to understand what the agency is trying to accomplish and align your marketing information to that. Great advice. Keith, um in working with the Department of Homeland Security, you had a uh, important role in the area of applications and enterprise uh, strategy. Can you talk a little bit about some of the ways that you used marketing material? Sure. So, you know, working at an enterprise, you start off with a lot longer hair than after five years. You kind of end up, for those of you in the audience, you maybe look at it online, see what happens after 10 years at the enterprise level. Um, so we have a lot of different challenges. And, and I just wanted to piggyback on uh, what Simone was saying a little earlier and, and Casey as well. As you get into the SES territory, the discussions really aren't down in the weeds at the technical level. The 13s, 14s and 15s on your staff are having that. And I just my scenario was over 10 years in the government, as I rose uh, in the ranks, I had probably 40 to 50 different contracts I was directly responsible for, except the last four years as an SES, I had none. And I didn't want any, to be honest with you. So typically, that's why you have staff, right? Um, so some of the creative ways that I that I saw industry come and talk to me were, know me. Don't come in and talk about a server, right? Because that won't get you in the front door. Because that wasn't what I was interested in. I was interested in transforming the way the business model of IT worked in the government, much less, say, at DHS. I didn't think it was acceptable for two years for a capability to be started. And then maybe it works after two years. I wanted results in months, if not weeks. So the industry that we're able to market in an area that I was interested in was in the innovation. What's happening in the Valley? What's happening in Boston? What's happening in Raleigh? What's happening in Austin? And then what's working at large entities out in the commercial sector, like for a bank? Banks care about security. We cared a lot about security at DHS. That's an interesting story that I can easily relate 
to the problems that I'm experiencing over where I was located. Now, that said, once you got my attention, maybe we'll have a 30-minute meeting, cup of coffee. I was in the office at 6 every morning, so if you can meet me at 6, you got me. After 8 o'clock, see ya. You're not going to get me, right, till maybe 7 o'clock at night. So once you get my attention, then I would turn around and pivot and say, okay, who on my staff would have the next level of discussion? But I'm not going to sit and drill down into 40 levels of technology. It wouldn't. That wasn't interesting to me. Yeah, I, I really can relate to what Keith just talked about. I would often get phone calls, cold calls in the morning. And I answered my if I was at my desk, I answered my phone and I would listen and I would say, uh, you've got five minutes to tell me a little bit about your company, your solutions, your services. And I was really honest after that five minutes of discussion on whether I could see a fit uh, with my needs. And if there was a fit, I would schedule a follow-up 30-minute meeting, cup of coffee or something like that to explore it just a little bit more because I really felt like the executive's job was to understand the market and the solutions that are out there. And I used it as learning experience. Uh, to really get in the know. Casey. Yeah, I agree with that. And and Keith's point about what your peers are doing is relevant for any CIO because regardless of the industry, our challenges are much the same, especially in industries that are near to the federal government, highly regulated utilities, financial services. Some of the system integrator partners who worked with me at GSA brought their CIOs in or their customer CIOs from those industries. And we had really productive discussions about the challenges that we were mutually facing and how to use technology to, to advance on those solutions. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that the idea, uh, well, the opportunity for peer interaction was yeah. always really attractive. There's just nothing like talking with someone that does a very similar job, but in a different agency or in a company. You learn a lot from that kind of thing. Great. Well, uh, I know we, we all get a flurry of marketing materials in our email box, and uh, less so through the snail mail. But uh, how do you navigate through all of the asks for your time and for your attention? How do you make those decisions? Again, there are many different ways of, of doing marketing and approaching people. I think one of the keys, just to relate back to a comment that John said earlier, was the tailoring of the message. And you need to understand the person you're talking to, the role, and their priorities based on their agency, the agency's mission, and so on. So the more tailored a message was, whether it was in person or by email or by phone, the more interesting it was to me. And I'll speak only for myself, but... When I was receiving marketing approaches, an email blast was the the least effective way of getting my attention. Because if you know that something is going out to a thousand people, then there's no way that that message is tailored to me. It doesn't reflect any understanding of my requirements and my priorities. Uh, so just to be honest, I would almost always click the unsubscribe link because I knew that the message there was not aimed at me. It was a shotgun blast that was unlikely to connect. Right. Right. Definitely. I can relate to that, too. So a couple things. So anybody seen an investment pitch deck from a startup to a VC or to an angel? Mm -hmm. You see what those look like? You see what some of the communications look like that come into the government? Mm -hmm. Wildly different, right? So catch my eye, right? You may see the new model, Tesla 3. Mm -hmm. I tweeted the other day, game over. <laughs> look out, GM, right? <laughs> Ford, it's coming, right? That caught yeah. my eye. So catch my eye yeah. at, at a minimum, right? And try to be creative on that. And then Casey brought up a point that I did want to hit on. If you were to send me a note, and I don't know you from Adam, and you were to say our CIO or our uh, COO for a particular large organization is going to be in town this week, and he's going to go around and talk to other agencies about things that they've experienced or she's mm -hmm. gone through as the CIO of an agency, you've immediately got my attention, right? That is at a minimum, I'm going to read a little bit further. Or I may pick up the phone and call you because guess what? We don't have all the answers. One of the best meetings I ever had, and I won't mention the company, they're $20, $30 billion year company, said, we're going to bring in our person. And this was back when I was overseeing the investment management. We're going to bring in our person that oversees all of the investment decisions that are made at this large organization mm. and the CIO. I'm like, 
where do I sign up? And they came in and we didn't talk federal. We said, how do you guys make those investment decisions in your portfolio? R&D, kill an old system. Fascinating. Best two hours I spent probably in the government. By far the most fun. Mm -hmm. So if you can come at me with something that's totally different and not say I've got a shiny object, you have a better chance with some executives than, than others. Mm-hmm. Very good. John. I think uh, one point that's made, uh, particularly by Keith, is that he said he came in at 6 o'clock in the morning and he could take meetings in from 8 on. He was too busy to do whatever. Is that executives at our level are problem solvers, and, and, that, and that's all we do. And so every day is fought with different problems. And so we're putting out fires here and there and what have you. And certainly we're very interested in anybody who can provide information to us that will help us solve a problem. So if somebody comes in and they have a solution, as I mentioned before, that helps us solve a problem, then we're going to pay attention to them. I used to receive seven briefings a day or or so at GSA because I had about 6,000-plus contractors under contract, and everybody wanted to come in and tell me about what they did in hopes that I would help them be successful. But oftentimes I would listen to them and be courteous, but I paid close attention if they were relevant and could tell me how to solve one of my problems. And I think all of us experience that. I'll, I'll add on to that. Uh, I agree entirely, but I think it's what you said initially versus what you said at the end. It's not solve a problem. It's solve one of my problems. Yeah. Yeah. And so I would strongly encourage anybody who's looking to approach the government to do some research first. And it's surprising how many, how many companies don't do that research to understand right. the mission, the priorities, and the challenges. And there are probably some agencies that are a little more opaque than others, but there are plenty of senior executives, CIOs, other very senior people who are out there doing breakfast panels, luncheon panels, conferences. There are articles in, in the government trade magazines. It, it's very difficult to identify an organization where you can't gather some information up front and go in the door with some understanding that you can reflect back to them regarding what it is that they need and how you can help them. Mm-hmm. Very good point. Casey? We've spent a lot of time talking about one-on-one type forums, face-to-face sessions with senior leaders. Mm -hmm. But another effective channel for me to get information as a senior executive was through industry government forums where there's a neutral neutral, uh, grounds for Mm -hmm. having open conversations about challenges that everyone was facing, cybersecurity, cloud, and adoption of new technologies, governance and, and program challenges, new requirements and mandates from OMB. There's a lot of groups out there that are doing those panels and luncheons and giving you an opportunity to have informal conversations. And being involved in those is, I think, important for any industry leader who wants to get into the mind and understand the challenges of the senior leaders that they're dealing with. Very good point. Those kinds of industry government um, forums give everyone a chance to develop uh, a dialogue and one that is not specifically towards a buy or a sell. And it really helps uh, both government managers, executives, and IT (coughs) professionals in learning about what's Mm -hmm. out there in the market. Very good. Well, thank you, panel. Thank you very much. We're going to go to break now, and we'll be back in just a moment. Kimberly Hancher, host with the most interesting (coughs) topics, exciting guests, and innovative ideas on marketing to government. You're listening to Federal News Radio, 1500 AM, and this program is brought to you by Government Marketing University. Do you work in marketing, sales, or business development for a vendor serving government customers? Then you should know about Government Marketing University a new innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and networking, all in one place to help accelerate your marketing success. Learn more at governmentmarketinguniversity.com. That's governmentmarketinguniversity.com. Welcome back to Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. This is your host, Kimberly Hancher, and today we're hearing from former federal executives on bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing. Let me do a quick reintroduction of our guest panelists. We have Simone Ziekman, former CIO at Department of Commerce, Keith Trippi, former Executive Director for Enterprise Systems Development Office within the Office of the CIO at the Department of Homeland Security. 
Casey Coleman, former CIO at General Services Administration, and John Johnson, former Assistant Commissioner for Integrated Technology Services at GSA. We're assessing what works and what doesn't in government marketing. Millions, if not billions, of dollars are spent every year on marketing campaigns designed to educate and influence government decision makers about specific technologies, capabilities, and solutions available in the marketplace. How well do these efforts work? In this segment, we'll hear from former federal senior executives and acquisition officials about how they view these marketing efforts as the intended recipients. We'll discuss what works and what doesn't when it comes to government marketing. So let me bring my panelists into this discussion. When you were in government, and how did you really stay on top of the latest technologies and IT trends? Simone, let me start with you. I, one of the ways I stayed on top of uh, the latest things that were going on was just being out there in the community, doing a lot of interaction at conferences, a variety of panels. Uh, and as Casey had mentioned earlier, a lot of these uh, associations and, and neutral types of organizations that create other sorts of venues for uh, both government-to-government -government types of communications as well as government-industry collaboration, partnership, discussions. Um, and uh, and then I, I tended to... Um, have sort of my nerdy approach to keeping up on technology based on uh, on a variety of uh, media magazines, typically uh, online, reading a lot about new technologies. Certainly understanding from a, a government IT trade press what was hot in the government, but since the government is sometimes a little bit trailing on where the commercial sector is, certainly not limiting to those types of publications, but also knowing in the commercial sector what, what the latest types of technologies are. Mm-hmm. Great, thank you. And Keith, how about you? So I, I try to think about it a little bit differently. Um, I mean, everything that Simone said, we all kind of do in some variation of that. The one thing that I tried to do was, well, what are the VCs up to? What are the angel investors doubling down on? Where are they putting their bets, right? Because that can help provide some indicators about what's happening potentially three to 40 years before the government actually gets to where it adopts the technology, but it can be a leading indicator of things that will come down the pike for the government. So um, I was very interested in, in, in different uh, VCs and, and, uh, and angels, and there are plenty of websites and, and magazines uh, mm -hmm. that provide that, but it was definitely helpful for me to see what's coming mm -hmm. that I don't know yet. Mm -hmm. Great. Casey. That's really smart, Keith. I should have done more of that. One of the ways that I thought was especially helpful to stay informed is to work with industry analysts, Gartner, Forrester, IDC. There's many others. They do a lot of work to do the analysis, to gather up what's going on in the market, and to give you an unbiased perspective, at least one that's informed by looking across the marketplace. So I think that's probably true for a lot of Senior leaders, they like to get an objective viewpoint. I thought that those kind of industry channels and analyst channels were really helpful. Mm -hmm. Great. And, John, uh, when you were at GSA, what kinds of techniques did you have to stay in the know? In addition to what I heard, however, participation in some of the associations was helpful, ACT-IAC, Affirm, ITPA, you name it. Uh, I think that y you can gather a lot from those uh, associations because they do tend to focus on some of the more relevant uh, technical issues that are, are in place. And uh, in addition to that, just understanding what types of uh, business problems that are out there and, and how technology can be used as an enabler or in terms of solving a problem mm -hmm. as opposed to technology for technology's sake I think there's a, a misconception in general that uh, at this level that a lot of us are a bunch of geeks that love to, uh, you know, look at tech manuals and what have you, and that's entirely not true. We're all business people that are looking to help our missions, our, excuse me, our agencies perform their missions more readily, and technology just happens to be a tool that we use to make that happen. I think uh, I think that's really, really very pertinent, um, the, the idea of an Technology being the enabler for the business is really the key here. Um, the only other thing that I would add is um, some of the peer organizations in uh, government are really useful. The CIO Council, sure. Small Agency CIO Council was particularly active. And I found that um, having that network of uh, peers where you could ask questions, you could get information directly uh, about 
trends about uh, adoption of specific technologies was very, very helpful in my um, sort of assessment of technologies. Mm -hmm. Keith. Well, I was just going to suggest to build off of that. So talking to your peers. So I would always reach across the aisle to different peers, whether they were in DHS or outside and say, my goodness, are we struggling with pick a problem, right? What did you guys do about that? Or I think I heard something about that. So I always like to reach over to the peers and say, tell me who you guys had talked to to help you solve this problem mm -hmm. and then bring them to me, right? So I could have a conversation and see if it's applicable. Yes. So, I mean, we do do a lot of talking, but you have to understand we can go have a meeting. And while that meeting is going on, 10,000 people are not able to send an email, right? So our attention is halfway into that meeting. The other half is I've got a you know mission critical system maybe that's offline. So mm -hmm. we're trying to balance all of that. Um, but I think the referral piece is very helpful. So in marketing, if you've done some good work for so-and-so, ask them. Say, hey, would you mind suggesting us to others? And I would suggest people uh, to others that I thought ha knew – I knew them. I knew what they were struggling with. And if I had a vendor that helped scratch an itch for me, I, you know, to Simone's point, I knew them and I would suggest them. And they knew I wasn't just going to throw a vendor over the wall. Right? It's going to come with, they solve a problem that this particular individual has. So the referral network's interesting. Yes, yes. I think that that's a very important part of getting your company's solutions and services uh, to other agencies uh, sort of across the aisle. Mm -hmm. Let's talk a little bit about specifics in marketing materials that you have used or, or don't particularly find useful. So let's start with sort of what works and what doesn't. Let's, uh, for example, webinars. Um, I, I remember when I first started out uh, as a CIO, I looked uh, to, you know, learn quickly in those first 90 days and uh, took advantage of some webinars. It was the early days of webinars. Um, and I found it kind of useful to do that because you could multitask, you could tune in, you could tune out, if you, or you could give it your full attention. Um, so, so tell me, Simone, what, what do you think about webinars? Do you ever participate in those? I, I did, but probably less occasionally. And I think this goes back to, to something that Casey was saying earlier on in terms of who the who the influential people are in what sorts of decisions. And so very frequently, depending on who you're talking to and what their role is, if they have a need to learn specifically about a particular type of technology, the webinar may be a good channel for them. It's certainly a useful channel. It's just a matter of being one that's aimed at the correct audience. Mm -hmm. So there's no question that in any federal agency, you have people who are the right people to target and people who are the wrong people to target with those types of, of approaches. Um, but they certainly are, I think, in general, a useful learning tool. I would say target the webinar, target the white paper to the audience. So all of us didn't have our hands on contracts doing the awards. Mm -hmm. You know, at a certain level, you just don't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. But again, back to what I was talking about, if you had a webinar where you could bring senior folks together from large commercial entities mm -hmm. that have lived it and have done it, I, that'd be a webinar I would be interested in. But you're talking business. You're not talking techie. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Same thing on a white paper. If it's more than a page... I'll fall asleep and it'll stick to my forehead, right? I'm, I'm not going to read it. I just won't in principle. I won't do it. <laughs> Sorry about banging. Um, so what I would say is if you target it at the right level, give me one page. From there, if I'm interested, I'll turn around to my, you know, 15s, 14s, and 13s and say I would suggest maybe you guys, if you have some time, participate in the webinar or read this white paper. But it's going to be deeper and a little bit more technical, yeah. than the level that I would have been interested in. So You know, I, I'm a big believer in one-pagers. Sure. Uh, I, I found that um, a one-page document or infographic, even better, mm -hmm. conveys a great deal of information in a short format. And I found those to be, I would give instructions, as a matter of fact, to staff that I want a one-page you know, mm -hmm. overview. And it really is challenging to take all your information that you want to convey and condense it to one page. But uh, for executives, it's a particularly attractive format. Mm -hmm. Casey. I, I find this very therapeutic because I'm a little embarrassed at how short my attention span has become. But it's good to hear that everyone else has the same problem. So I would say that you don't have to tell your whole story. You can extract the the key points and if it's interesting like mm -hmm. Keith said if it's relevant we'll take it I would take it and I would distribute it and I would ask my staff to dig deeper so don't feel like you have to 
you know, get the whole novel in tiny print on one page. Make you know, a few relevant points with pictures, with graphics, easy to glance at and, and make a yes-no decision and move on. Leave them wanting more. Yeah. A little yeah. bit of a tease is okay, right? Worked and Gone in the Wind. <laughs> you can still do that here, right? Don't barf information at me. Give me a little tease. If I'm That's interested, right. I'll get the staff to follow up. That's right. On the issue of white papers, I'll, I'll add one more thing. If you've got only one white paper, then you're probably not as effective as if you have multiple versions of the white paper. And this goes yeah. back to a theme that's been recurring here about tailoring it. If, if the white paper just says, this is what my technology can do, it's not going to be nearly as effective as one where you add a simple paragraph at the start that says, I know you, I know what you're trying to do and why it's difficult, and here's how I can help you. For those of you who are, are go beyond just the marketing and actually get into proposals, you'll see that very often an agency will make decisions about awarding work by having evaluation factors that include things like understanding of the work. And if that's what they make decisions on when they're awarding contracts, why would you think that they wouldn't want somebody to demonstrate that same understanding when you're doing marketing? This is Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. This is your host, Kimberly Hancher. And today we're hearing from former federal executives on bringing clarity to the clutter in government marketing. We're talking about how to market to senior government executives. And our panel includes John Johnson, Casey Coleman, Heath Trippi, and Simone Ziekman. The topic is really improving the government industry dialogue. And I'm just wondering, how do blogs and social media fit into that improvement initiative? How do they really help uh, inform the dialogue and early engagement between industry and government. Casey, would you like to address it? Yeah, you bet. I think that social media has become just part of the fabric of of our everyday existence, and it certainly is with mine, and it feels much more like part of an ongoing conversation and in some ways more authentic and more of the moment than pre-prepared marketing materials. And it gives me and has given me the opportunity to listen to a lot of different people. I think I follow all of you on social media in one way or another. So I'm using it all the time as a way to listen and also as a way to contribute. And I do a monthly blog. And I think one of the useful things about that is that it gives you a way to express a point of view, because really a blog isn't very interesting unless it has a point of view. That's right. Very, very much so. Keith, you have uh, topics that you'd like to address on that? Well, I like the, 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 What's the right choice word? How fast you can communicate with that. Now, again, some government folks may be a little sensitive to reaching out and using it as an outbound communication. Sometimes there are communication offices and IT groups that may not even let you get to certain sites. So hopefully this is something that you've taken it upon yourself. Certainly as an exec, you ought to have a sort of a well, well-rounding source of data sets that are coming to you that you can process. And so LinkedIn's pretty powerful because you can see some of the network relationships and then the, the ability to post there. Mm-hmm. Twitter's, you know, somewhat really helpful because as, say, for example, if there's a politician that's really loud and is, he was on a speech last night in, at, in, uh, in Long Island, you may be able to pick that up on, on Twitter and get a sense of sort of the vibe of what's happening. Same thing around ID and different mm-hmm. technologies and who's solving what problems. And you can get that at your own. Plus, now there's analytics tools that you can put on top of the social media to get the sentiment analysis, mm-hmm. to get a sense of what's really happening in this space, to even make it more simple for execs to digest. So there are services that are out there that, that do that I think are really helpful. Mm-hmm. Very good points. John? Yeah, I think one of the things that uh, we must recognize when we use social media is that it is a very good tool for the one-to-many communication. So... For example, when um, acquisition people are working on a program or a procurement, I should say, they're oftentimes concerned about dialoguing with industry. But if they communicate via one-to-many, meaning that they have a blog or they have some mechanism where everybody can hear that information equally, then they have less of a risk in terms of violating anything or giving anybody any favoritism. So I think that social media has served that purpose, and there are some good examples of that. Uh, the Alliant 2 procurement, for, for example, right now is a very good example of how uh, Casey Kelly and that team are using uh, blogging and uh, the GSA Interact site to communicate to many people at one time, and it allows industry to ask questions, and then when they answer, 
the answer to everyone. And mm-hmm. so everybody gets to see it. So nobody can cry foul that they got some information that others didn't get and so forth. And so I think if used wisely, it's a very powerful tool. I think that's an extremely relevant point because, you know, both inside government and outside government, there is a widely held view that um, executives and mid-level managers are overly cautious about communicating with industry outside of the formal RFP process. And, you know, that's that concern has prompted OMB to issue myth-busting memos back in 2010, 2011. And uh, most recently, Anne Rung, Administrator of Federal Procurement Policy, reaffirmed that this is still an ongoing issue. Um, so in this segment, we'd like to examine the panel's views on the current state of communication between government and industry uh, and what might help improve early engagement and industry-government communications. Um, Given the fact that we've all served as senior leaders in the government and now are in the private sector, what's the best piece of advice that you might offer to the vendor marketeer looking to drive government awareness of their products and services? I'd like to start, if I may, because I, I maybe not what's the most effective, but I wanted to speak on something I think is an often used mechanism that I never found helpful, and that is to bring a GAO report or an IG report or a new mandate from OMB and say, I know you've got to deal with this, so you need to buy my solution. And trust me, those things don't take us by surprise. We know they're coming. We've already created a plan. We may not have executed the plan because we've got to work it into the budget. But to think that that's a shortcut to developing a value proposition that your client will find compelling is I never found very helpful. Okay. You didn't like a poke in the eyes? No, I did stuff. not. Well, not to mention the fact that often these reports put organizations in firefighting mode, and certainly when there's a fire, it needs right. to be fought. Absolutely. But those are not the most strategic objectives that any senior IT executive has. So there's always something that's maybe less urgent but truly more important to these to these right. leaders that they really want to be focusing their attention on, not the, the IG or GAO reports. Yeah. And the other thing, too, I mean, the, the behemoth that is the federal government, much less IT, two to three years to get some sort of system built, I mean, it's nonsense, right? You would last five minutes, uh, CIO of Coca-Cola, if you did that. Give me some little wins. Help me get little wins that advance a strategy that if it takes two years to get the first win on a new strategy, you're going to lose the support up, out, and down to go make that happen. So think about what it is to take those bite-sized steps that we can collectively achieve success, which builds momentum to go build more. So just poking me in the eye that GAO said, well, no kidding, we know that, right? There's nothing new. But there are other areas that may help transform the way I do business that delivers more value for the mission that I truly care about, right? The GAO report, right? I'll put it right up there with the other 14 sort of directives that I've got to balance across a budget that hasn't increased in X number of years. So getting the small wins to me was always more interesting than uh, than trying to do the big bet or just answer the principal's, you know, call. Very good point. Well, um, what steps and approaches do you think that government managers need to take in order to provide the vendor community a little more information about what the top priorities are or what those pain points are that they would love to have some help with. John. You know, I think that the more industry knows about what you're trying to accomplish, the better off uh, the taxpayer is and the government is, I should say, in terms of solving the problem they're trying to solve. So I think that the federal executives are by mandate, it's necessary for them to communicate effectively to industry what they're doing uh, in terms of what they're trying to buy. Because the because it's very, very important to understand that the government isn't the innovator. It's industry that's the innovator. Mm-hmm. The government has problems it's trying to solve, as I mentioned before, and industry is a solution provider. And so the more that we can communicate what's going on in our agencies in terms of what we're trying to buy and why we're trying to buy it, I think it's... it's, it's uh, it's helpful to everyone involved. That uh, MythBuster memo that you mentioned before, yes. uh, I think it was published in one. The one I saw was published in 2011. 
uh, it basically indicated that there needs to be a balance of communication between industry and government so that government government is uh, benefits from the knowledge that industry has to impart and uh, anybody that thinks that they can do this with closed doors and not pay attention to what industry is doing uh, has got it wrong. Right. Very good point. Can I, can I propose a new rule? Please. New rule. If you're an SES, yes. you have the immediate ability to publish on pick your social media of choice about what your needs are out to industry. You don't have to filter it through. Uh, the public affairs people, you don't have to filter it through the community. This is heresy, right? This is kind of fun on the other side. You don't have to communicate it to the, the communications off, and you don't have to work with the contracts folks. You can publish it because guess what? You're an SES. You know what you're supposed to be doing. We'll give some training, mm-hmm. but allow them to do that. And if they do something dumb, then, you know, maybe they get the privileges revoked, but let them do it. Yeah. Why make industry guess? It's insane. Yes. Casey. I sometimes think that we have the FAR, which gives a lot of latitude. Think about it as a football analogy. You've got 100 yards between the goalpost, and we spend our time playing between the 40-yard lines because we want to stay so far within the boundaries that we don't want to even venture out into the rest of the field where the authorities of the FAR and other government regulations give you clear guidance on ability to get stuff done and to communicate. And I know of one situation where there was a procurement two years in advance and the agency quit talking to industry. Mm-hmm. And that kind of situation, you are left totally in the dark about what to what to propose and how to solve a problem in order to help the agency's mission be executed. So the, 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 the agencies only hurt themselves and their outcomes when they are that risk averse. Well, you, you referred earlier to the Mythbusters campaign, and I think the intent of the Mythbusters campaign or campaigns is very positive. The effectiveness in terms of the the true culture change, I think, has been a little more sporadic uh, rather than very broad. And I think I think we still encounter agencies, for example, that may be very clearly in market research phases yes. where they will, as Casey said, shut down, not talk to people because they are under a, a misinterpretation of things that suggests to them that market research means acquisition sensitive when in fact it's exactly the opposite. So um, so I think there's still a need for more education, more awareness, and more campaigning on the openness at the appropriate times between the private sector and the government because the more the private sector knows, the more effectively they can position themselves to respond to meet the needs of the government clients. I, I totally agree. And I, I really uh, I have a saying that is just because you write a memo doesn't mean that you're going to change behavior. And there needs to be some more education and just interaction uh, and examples of risk taking, like Keith pointed out. Casey, you had something you wanted to add. I was going to point out that the broader community is involved here. This is not just the IT community, which on its own might be far less risk averse, but the the, the stakeholder community that includes the general counsel, the HR, the uh, CFO's office, the, um, the, the rest of the compliance and support organizations that work with the IT organization often are more risk averse and are not giving support that would be helpful to the IT office to engage in those market research activities. So that that myth busting, I think, has to cover those functional areas and those communities as well. Mm-hmm. So true, John. I, I think that part of the issue, at least what I observed when I when I left in two thousand nine, I had awarded uh, networks, which was about a twenty billion dollar procurement. I awarded uh, Alliant, which was about sixty billion dollars, so about eighty billion dollars worth of stuff out there. And uh, in order for those things to be successful, you really had to listen to what industry had to say. It wasn't just what technology is available. It's how do they operate, what really can work in terms of how we interact with the government, et cetera, et cetera. So it's absolutely essential that uh, government and industry have an open dialogue. Furthermore, the one thing that I've observed is that there is this group inside the government uh, that hides behind that far to some extent. And then there's the uh, operations or the mission people. And the mission people need that procurement to go forward because they're trying to satisfy a need. The procurement people can sit behind that wall and be safe and say, hey, you know, you can't do it this way, you can't do it that way. They need to join forces and understand that everybody needs to be aligned behind the mission. Yes. Uh, and so uh, when I was in the Pentagon, there was a general I worked for, and I can't I can't uh, forget this uh the story where a contracting guy was sitting next to me 
And uh, the general said, I wanted to accomplish X, Y, Z. And the contracting guy said, you can't do that. It's against the FAR. He said, see that FAR? He said, go find me an answer. (laughs) And so, you know, there are people out there that can find answers. And they're not just, you can't do it because. So I think that it requires a little creativity. But I found the people that really understood the FAR and what they could do were the most valuable people to me. Right. can't document. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Very one, one last thought yes. on, on all of this to help stimulate maybe some transparency. Wouldn't it be interesting, leveraging all the different social media tools out there, let industry independently and offline all weigh in on the most transparent, industry-friendly, open government agencies and scorecard it every quarter. Make it available. I was just going to say that I think that there are some very good examples out there. One I just no. mentioned earlier. Mm-hmm where uh, government is really does have an active dialogue with industry. And if there could be a myth buster kind of follow up in terms of what's going on right out there, what are the best practices? I think that'd be very helpful. Well, super, super ideas. Um, I'm part of that ACT IAC group that uh, is thinking about how to further the myth busters campaign. And I'll bring up some of those ideas. Very good. Well, I'd like to say thank you so much to our great panel members. And thank you for listening to today's Market Chat by Government Marketing University on Federal News Radio, 1500 AM. Tune in for future Market Chat episodes. It's an ongoing program. Be sure to go to www.governmentmarketinguniversity.com for the latest updates. Do you work in marketing, sales, or business development for a vendor serving government customers? Then you should know about Government Marketing University, a new innovative learning platform that applies a collaborative, community-based approach towards knowledge sharing and skills development in the field of public sector marketing. Government Marketing University offers training, research, certifications, mentoring, and networking, all in one place to help accelerate your marketing success. Learn more at governmentmarketinguniversity.com. That's governmentmarketinguniversity.com.